Hi, and welcome to another episode of Everyday Optimism. This is the third episode. Uh, I didn't record one last week because I was visiting a graduate program up in British Columbia, University of British Columbia. Um, So I was there all week and I didn't have time to record an episode. And then I just didn't really plan ahead for it. Um, The job that I have right now doesn't require me to really schedule out my tasks. So I have a hard time looking at my calendar and actually thinking about anything like two to five days in advance. So yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I really hate that I didn't get it out and I want this to be a weekly thing. And uh, I love doing this every week. So hopefully moving forward, I can keep that up. Um, yeah, this is like the third time I am recording this. Uh, the second time I fucked up the intro and then didn't like it. And then the first time I went back and listened to it and I said, um, and like a million times, um, just like there. So I'm hoping that that goes away the more that I do this. And I'm sorry if that annoys anybody I have to kind of work on my speech because I do that in my normal speech as well. And I usually do it when I'm thinking and kind of like a pause in my thought, I suppose. Um, But yeah, I don't script these. I scripted the first one a little bit and the second one I had an outline. And then this one, I don't have anything because I just don't want to do that. It doesn't feel as genuine and... I don't know, I like the idea of just talking to someone about what's going on or about my thoughts or the the stories that I hear, the things that I see, and I want that to come across really genuinely like a conversation, like just me talking to someone, um, which is weird because I'm not talking to anybody. There's I'm just sitting alone in my apartment, so uh, we'll see about that. And then the quality of the episodes, I'm kind of starting to realize, isn't as great. And other people's podcasts I listen to, I mean, it's crystal clear. And I'm just recording this on a recording app on my phone and um, with my, like, Apple headphones. So I might kind of start, you know, if I can really keep this up, I might try to start investing in some other equipment to make everything sound better and just make the podcast in general more pleasurable to listen to because it is something that I am really serious about continuing and I think that it's really important uh, and I'll kind of touch on that a little bit later but I think it's really important to share optimistic things and to make optimism more approachable to anybody which is why it's kind of called everyday optimism Um, it's something that you can implement into your everyday life and it can be really casual and it doesn't have to be this huge task or or something like that so yeah that was me rambling a little bit in the beginning um I'll start with a funny story that uh me passing through the border both ways when I was on my way to Canada and then I'm being optimistic and positive that it won't be that hard in the future because I have uh, accepted the offer to go to graduate school at UBC so so um so that'll be good um okay so on my way up the the way up I wanted to ask the guy about 
the whole study permit process. So I had a notepad and I left my pen in my backpack. So I'm talking to him and I'm asking him about this stuff and he starts answering my questions. And then I like start digging in my backpack trying to find my pen and the guy moves his hand to his gun and said, you know, excuse me, like, could you not dig through your backpack anymore? Because like, yeah, of course he doesn't know what's in my fucking backpack. Uh, Good job, Summer. Like, you're about to get shot at the Canadian border, which is a little hilarious because, you know, stereotypically Canadians are really nice, so that would be kind of funny. And they are really nice. Um, And then on the way back, I pulled up and I was next in line, and they kicked this cone out into the middle, and they don't let me pull forward, so I have to sit there and wait, and the guy is kind of, like, working on the computer doing something. And then I pull up, and then he kind of, like, looks at me, and he was like, is this your car? Do you own this car? And I was like, uh, yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, and then he asked me where I lived and I said in Washington. And then he asked me when I moved there and, uh, moved to Washington. And I said that I moved in January, um, which is sort of true. It's not a total lie. I was, uh, I had moved in January to a new apartment, but I had moved, like, way back the last summer. Um, But the problem is that I had never changed over my plates, so I still had a Virginia license and then Virginia license plates, and um, which I'm now going to try to change and get this week or next week, Uh, so this isn't a problem anymore. Um, But I think that he thought that I'd, like, stolen the car or, or something nefarious I I don't know and I wanted to tell him you know if I was a criminal like I would not be as stupid to just drive through the border I I don't know like I would be a smarter criminal than that but of course you can't say that because he's like border police and he was all like G.I. Joe intense um and then I get drilled with all these questions about what's in my car and like why was I in Canada and Maybe all of that was normal, but it felt really weird, and they were so intense, and um, on the Canadian side, they wanted to know how long I would be in Canada, and most importantly, when I would be leaving, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was interesting, and I like to hope that the more I go through the border, the easier it'll get, but I, I get really nervous in situations where I, uh, A, don't really know what's going on so I mean that was the first time I'd ever gone through international border you know like not in an airport type thing and then you know B it's like kind of a serious situation and they're so strict about it and uh whatnot so yeah I think I probably will always be a little nervous but that was kind of funny and and looking back you know it was kind of nerve-wracking at the moment but I kind of knew that I was going to laugh about this later and um, so I kind of just like internally laughed about it uh, at the moment, um, not to the border police's face because that probably wouldn't be good. But Tony Robbins has this great quote where, um, if you can laugh about it a year from now, you can laugh about it now. And I think that is super awesome. And I, I don't know, I try to adapt that in my life whenever shit hits the fan and, you know, stuff that you know is going to be a funny story later. Um, you can laugh about it in the moment and then that kind of just makes it all the less intense and crazy um 
so yeah, that's why I didn't record last week, and that whole experience was really awesome, and I'm really excited to go to school there, um, so yeah, in the future, I will be recording from Canada, which I don't think should change anything, but, um, yeah, so what I want to talk about this week is one of my own stories, something pretty personal, uh, and something I don't share with people all the time or really talk about, um, it's also something I don't really think about, uh, which I'll, I'll get to that also, but, so I'm like, we got some really, really great news about it, um, over the weekend, yeah, on Friday, so, I want to share with you guys because it is completely centered around optimism and positivity, and it's a beautiful example of it, and also just, I don't know, pure awesomeness, and I think that a lot of people will resonate with this story because, uh, it happens to a lot of people, and I think it's important to talk about, and it's important to hear, and, and, uh, so yeah, so I'll start, let's see, eight years ago. Yeah, I'll start eight years ago. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. She was diagnosed with stage zero cancer. Um, she was 40, so she was really young. She's 48 now. And uh, she's had a whole slew of medical issues most of my life. Um, and definitely the latter half of my life. And And so being afraid that she was going to die, that something was going to happen to her, wasn't a foreign feeling to me. I suppose maybe I've just been numb to it. Um, I don't think numb to it. I don't know. You, you kind of just get used to feeling something and then it, it, it doesn't, you know, ruin your world as much as it maybe would if it was the first thing or whatever. And it was stage zero. So it was kind of like, oh, well, this isn't that big of a deal. Like it was stage zero, slow moving. And compared to the other things that she's gone through, uh, it just didn't seem like a big deal to me. So she didn't have, I don't think, the best of doctors. Um, She's kind of had a whole slew of not great doctors most of her life. And um, she, I guess they they told her to get surgery. I think get surgery and have radiation, which is probably way too, way too much. Um, first stage zero, stage one type thing. Um, it wasn't life-threatening. It wasn't this big, huge thing. So she had a small tumor in her left breast, and she got surgery, um, and she had to get surgery three times. They kept having to go back to clear the margins, clear the margins and whatnot. And by the time that she finished with the third surgery, her breast was fairly fucked up um, and painful and, and all of that. But they gave her the go-ahead that she was clear, and then she went on radiation for, like, a year or six months or something like that, and then it was kind of like, okay, move on with your life, that's fine, um, and then they came back again a few years later, um, I was in college at this point, and it had come back, um, I think, was it just once or in a couple places? I think it might have just been once this time. Um, but it had come back, and it was more advanced. It was like stage three or something. Uh, at this point, she had moved back to Washington, where all of her family's from. And um, she 
Yeah, stage three. And then they had thought that there was this big scare that there was another tumor somewhere in her back. And we still don't really know what it is in her back. Um, but they had thought that it was going to be bone cancer. And so there was this huge scare for about a month, two months when, um, I was visiting and and living with family friends in Germany and, uh, where we were afraid that it was going to be stage four and that it had metastasized and, you know, moved into her bone and all this stuff. Um, but that came back clear. And, and so, um, she went through chemotherapy, uh, it was really hard not being there with her. I was in school, and I don't know, my mother and I were really close, and so not being able to go with her to her appointments and to her treatments and, and just try to help or just be around to help with my sister. Um, my sister's 14 now, so this was a few years ago, and uh, it was really hard for me in school and hard to focus and all of that, of course. And, you know, I'm afraid. I mean, this is the second time it came back. It was more serious, etc. cetera. Um, I think that year I had flown back to Washington four or five times. It was a, a crazy amount. And every day that she went and had her chemo treatment, I had flowers delivered to the house. And, you know, that was kind of like the best I could do, which which sucked. But, um. At the end of her chemo, she decided to get a double mastectomy to remove both of her breasts um, with the preventative hopes that, you know, that would be that. The chemo had cleared it. Um, they couldn't find it. And then and then she um, went ahead with the surgery, and it was really hard for her. Um, I don't know how I would feel if, if I went through that because... You probably don't know until you get there. I mean, I was kind of like, yeah, remove the breasts. Like, get them the fuck off of me. I can't keep having cancer in them. I would want them off. But I, she grew attached to them. And, and you know, it's it's part of her womanhood. Um, and I think a lot of people would feel that way. And I think that I would probably feel that way when, when the time came. If the time came. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and so she had the surgery. And, and that took a lot, um, lost all her hair, uh, a couple of my uncles and cousins shaved their heads with her, um, you know, and, and she rocks bald really well. And, um, so yeah, the cancer went away, she got the double mastectomy, healed from that, and then again, like, all things are fine, I guess. And then my last year at Tech... I was in a seminar, and um, I was in a seminar with Sean, my boyfriend, and then one of my best friends, Will, and um, seminar was just like our department would fly in other geoscientists, and they would give kind of a research talk and whatnot, and, and my mom called me a few times during the talk, and I didn't answer because, yeah, obviously I'm in a seminar, and, and I can just call her afterwards, and I remember thinking like, gosh, like, it better be a good reason that she's calling me so much. Like, I was irritated. And then I kind of had this feeling like something's not good. And so then she, um, I go to my office after the seminar, um, and my office mate wasn't there, and then I called her back, and there was kind of this silence, and then I could hear her kind of crying, and she just said that, it, you know, it's back. And this time it had come back in, like 
four or five different places um, in her breath, you know, chest wall and armpit area. And I just like broke down crying. Um, but she told me, you know, don't worry, I'm going to keep fighting. We're going to fight this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And, and here she is comforting me when, you know, she's the one going through this. And, and I know I'm her kid and whatnot, but it was really hard. And I, and I went down to our undergraduate lounge and Sean and Will were there and I, um, I walked in and I just burst out crying and other than, you know, movies, like every movie, um, Sean had never really like seen me cry like that. And I remember like hearing, like I processed the sound more than the sight of like him leaping up from the chair and the chair like being knocked backwards and him like coming to comfort me and I told and I said like you know my mom's cancer's back and my friend Will knew about it and and he uh, he has his you know his own story about about loss and family and all this stuff and so he's been a really close confidant in this whole process and some of that I've talked to a lot about it and we gave each other kind of this knowing look and, um, gosh, I'll never forget that look. Will, if you're listening, like, thank you for being such an incredible friend and for being there for me through, through all of that. Um, he's at Caltech now being a fucking badass. So that's good. But, um, anyway, so the cancer is back. Um, the doctor who she had, uh, who was not so great, was kind of negative and pessimistic. <laughs> um, had kind of said, well, you know, it hasn't like necessarily like metastasized to other systems in the body, but they called it stage four because it had come back at this point three times. And along with a stage four diagnosis comes a whole lot of shit. Um, because people die from stage four, because stage four is the last stage, because not as many people have hope, as much hope after that. And I think that that's what my mom was, was going through with that. And so it's just been this whole long process. She was put on an experimental drug, um, which she takes and she, every three months they go and check the tumors. The first check that they had, which was in the fall, um, showed that the the big tumor had shrunk, although right now we don't know where they got any of those numbers. Um, the second or third check, uh, they weren't there or something. Um, they had shrunk in a lot or weren't there. And so, I mean, that was great. We were super happy. And then just, I suppose, two weeks ago, she found another tumor on the other side of her chest wall, a new one. And she got it biopsied, and while I was in British Columbia, she, you know, told me that it was cancerous as well. So, here we are, just rocked, like, news after news after just all this bullshit fucking cancer. And I come home on a Friday, and um, I go to the doctor with her, and I'm so glad I did. Her doctor is this, like, really awesome guy. I mean, he comes in the room, like, so much energy and just, like, positivity. I, I, like, freaking loved it. I wish that I had recorded 
everything that he said so I could play it in the morning to like jazz myself up. I mean, that's how awesome he was. Um, it was, it was super. And, uh, both, you know, my mom was there and then it was myself, my grandmother and my mom's best friend, like kind of her whole, her whole squad, cheerleading squad. And, uh, my mom can get, um, fairly negative about, about everything, which is totally understandable. Um, it's a lot of shit. And, uh, she starts talking to the doctor and she starts saying like, I need to know what's going on. I need to know what is going to happen to me? Like, what's my timeline? I want to know how much time I have. I want to know, you know, I want to buy a, I wanted to buy a house, but it's just like, now there's this other tumor and all this stuff. And, you know, of course she feels completely downtrodden and, and shit on by life and, and all of that. And, and she says, well, you know, then the doctor says, well, this is a slow moving tumor. Uh, her cancer, I mean, in general, is slow moving. Um, and so he said, uh, with chemotherapies and treatments nowadays, um, they're a lot better, first of all, than they used to be. Um, they are not as debilitating as they used to be. And uh, you might be able to get two years out of each treatment. So he said right there, you know, barring, you know, treatments go well, you know, that's 20 years. And I think that was the first time that someone told her, like, you have years, if not decades, before you potentially need to actually worry about dying, you know, barring any other complications. And I think that was a lot to process. And I think part of her doesn't want to hear it. I mean, she doesn't want to get her hopes up, but, you know, she wants to be alive long enough to raise my sister, um... Which, you know, obviously, as a mother, I can't imagine thinking you couldn't. But um, that was the first time I think someone told her that she had all this time, actually. And and she can't quite accept it, I don't think, at first. Um, and, and in the room, you know, her squad were all like, yes, like, listen to what he's saying. Like, you have time. Like, live your life. And he told her, like, you should absolutely live your life. And... Then she was like, you know, well, all you see on the news are all these people dying from cancer in stage four, and they don't have enough time, and blah, 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 and, you know, where are all the people that are surviving from it? Where are all the people who, you know, not only beat it, but are living with cancer, that are, that are continuing with their lives and, and being okay? And he says, you know, well, first of all, you know, news suffering sells. Which I hate, which I hate, I hate that about probably just mankind in general, because it does, and I get it, I mean, I watch fucking SVU and listen to murder podcasts, and there's something just dark and creepy and attractive about, you know, suffering, but maybe that's just because that's more like murder, like, yeah, more like like, real-life suffering is different. Well, I mean, murders are real life. Anyways, so, suffering sells. I mean, that's what's in the media. That's what's in the news. That's what you read. It's everywhere. Um, all the bad stories. And then he says, you know, and you said you want to know where, like, where do you find survivors? Like, where do you find people, like, that are doing great? He says, well, just look in a mirror. Oh, that just gives me chills. 
saying that and thinking about that, not only as, like, because this is my fucking mother, but just in general, like, wow, just look in a mirror. You know, he said, you're a survivor. If you ever need to know, if you ever need to see that, if you ever need to see, you know, a survivor, just look in the mirror. And that was awesome. And then I start, I mean, internally, I'm freaking the fuck out because this guy is so positive and so optimistic and awesome that like, yeah, like go live your fucking life. You know, he told her, you know, yeah, if it was in my opinion, go buy a house, go buy your house, go get a dog, go live your life. And I'm, like, getting so freaking jazzed up by this guy because, like, I love optimism. I feed on optimism. I see, like, people being optimistic, like, makes my fucking day. Um, And, like, that's why I'm doing this podcast because things like that should be shared. That's what should be in the news. That's what people should be hearing about because it's out there because it's awesome and and it's great and it makes you feel good and it makes you better equipped to handle adversity and and all the bullshit that life can throw your way, which is also great about life. So it's this whole great system. And um, so, yeah, he he tells her that she has decades. He he tells her that, you know, at least enough time to raise my sister, to to go buy her house, to go to move on with her life. You know, Um, she is not her cancer. That's super important. And so, um, what else did he say? Um, he, he told her her treatment opportunities, um, with this other tumor. If it's a certain kind of cancer, then there are actually a lot of, uh, things for that. If it's, um, another type of cancer, then, you know, he'll probably put her on chemotherapy. Um, and it doesn't knock her flat like it used to. I mean, he says he has like 80 year old patients that, that, are totally okay, again, you know, things are advancing so much, and, you know, I personally, I have to, I have to hope, and I am optimistic that she will be okay, that she will live a life, live her life, live longer, um, you know, I don't, there are so many ways to deal with, uh, potential grief, and to deal with things like this happening, and, you know, I turn to optimism probably as one of the biggest ways that I deal with this. And, and I don't know if it's false optimism or false hope. You know, I don't, I don't think so. I don't believe that that's how the universe works. But I think that, you know, one, I, I'm probably in pretty big denial about a lot of things. And, you know, I don't think about my mom's condition. I don't think about all the things that she's gone through in life because it would just paralyze me with the sadness and you know, all the stuff that she's had to deal with, and, you know, as her child, and just as another human being, I, I want the best for her, and so I don't really allow myself to go down that road a whole lot, um, I, I would rather be optimistic about her future, and about right now, what she does have right now, um, which I think is really important, and that's kind of how I cope with all of this, which Mom's kind of just realizing as I'm as I'm saying this, the first time I recorded this podcast, I, I didn't think that. And um, you know, the doctor said something really interesting. He said that think about it like HIV. In the eighties, HIV was a uh, death sentence and just you got that, you're dead. Then in the nineties and onward, you know, Magic Johnson pops positive and he's still alive and he's still doing really well. And 
Um, he said to think about cancer like a, like a chronic disease, you know, and my mother's a different case because hers is slow moving. So, you know, it's a lot different than other people's cancers, but think of it like you are living with cancer, not dying from it. Um, which I think was really, really important for her to hear, but for all of us to hear. And that's a totally different way of looking at cancer that I had never really thought about before. Um, but yeah, he was, he was great. And, and just his optimism, which, which comes from, you know, extensive medical knowledge. Um, you know, I, I have to believe that with chemotherapy and with other things that she can hang on long enough until they find a cure, until they find something that can really stick. And part of me does believe that that could be around the corner. Uh, there are, are other cancers like melanoma and some types of lung cancers that they have, you know, potentially cured with, with certain immunotherapies and, and different things like that. And so, you know, my, my kind of optimistic look is that, you know, she is strong enough and her cancer is slow moving enough that she can live with cancer and hold on until they find something better. And then of course the hope would be that, you know, I have her for much of, much of my life that I still get to, to be with her. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to share all of that, all, all of that really great news from this man, all this optimism and, and kind of, you know, very briefly on the surface, how I deal and, and cope with, you know, my mother having cancer and, and, you know, stage four, stage three, whatever it is. But, um, you know, one of the ways that I use optimism and positivity to, to deal with adversity and really hard shit. I mean, cancer is fucking brutal. And anyone that's experienced that knows that. Um, but it's also important to know that, like, you're not alone, that none of us are alone, that, you know, we are all one and in this together in life, in this entire huge collective process of life, of everybody living. And, um, you know, we should be having these conversations with each other and, and with others and in a podcast and in the news and all this stuff. Um, it's really important to connect with people and to share how we're going through things and, and how we're coping with things and stuff like that. Because, you know, even if it was just one other person that found that helpful, that that's what makes it important. Um so, yeah, goodness, that's that's a lot. I'm a little over time, and I, I don't want to ramble too far. I, I could really go deep into this, and, you know, I will in future episodes, but I, I wanted to share, you know, the great doctor's visit with him and just the really amazing things that he said that really made me look at her situation differently and, you know, that almost in some ways, you know, validated my optimism that it, it wasn't just being optimistic because I was in denial that my mother could die, but being optimistic because there are, are actually things to be optimistic about, which I always believe is true. Um, so yeah, there you go. Episode three. Um, again, I'll have my email at the, in the description of this episode. Uh, please email me your stories and, and, 
ways in which you use optimism in your life for anything, whether it's, I mean, shit, I use optimism to, like, get a parking spot downtown, like, I am optimistic that I will get this spot, and usually it happens, and I manifest myself a really incredible parking spot, but that's a very, like, everyday example, too, coping with loved ones having cancer and and all of this stuff, I mean, optimism can be employed in so many different ways, um, and, and positivity, and, and then just, like, any stories of random acts of kindness or awesomeness or just anything that you see that you thought was, like, fucking great. Like, I want to hear about it. I want you to tell me about it. It makes me super happy to hear um, and read about. Uh, why wouldn't it? And then I want to be able to share it on this podcast because it would make other people happy. Um, and everybody should be sharing those types of stories. I, I really, really believe that. So, yeah, email me. My Instagram handle will also be in the description, so you can message me on that. Um, And, yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening as I kind of poured out part of my heart in this episode and, you know, really intense stuff that I deal with and and really kind of got rambling going a bit on that whole story. It's not a story that I really usually tell to people in its entirety and, you know, this podcast is, is kind of, I'd say slowly, but really quite rapidly becoming this really therapeutic output in, in this area of my life that I, I love to focus on and, and to share with people. And, you know, I'm really excited to see, you know, where that, where that all goes. So yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, and I hope you have, the most beautiful day, wherever you are, whenever you are, um, be there, you know, be present, and, and just have a wonderful day.